0: Thank you, Luke, for joining me today for Cosmos Briefing.
1: It's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about your general area of research and what it is that you specialise in?
1: Yeah, so more generally, I'm in toxicology, in the field of toxicology, but I suppose more specifically, now I'm in the field of food toxicology. Um, So I'm assessing the dietary safety of a number of traditional foods that are being developed for today's commercial markets. Um, so these traditional foods are foods that have a long history of use within Aboriginal communities um, and such things as the murnong tubers, which are a root vegetable that grew prolifically through the southeast of Australia, uh, native grain species, which is, grows across Australia, um, which has really been looked at for its kind of environmental, beneficial environmental aspects, but also its nutritional aspects. Um, I'm also looking at a native nut and a native fungi, which should be really interesting I guess, why am I doing this? Um, it's because the native food industry is growing and Aboriginal people are really looking to become industry leaders of the industry. Um, you've probably seen such things as a kakadu plum. That's probably the most popular traditional food that's made it to the market so far, both domestic and international. But as it currently stands it's estimated that about 1% or 2% of revenue actually goes back to traditional owners. So we really want to try and change this and see an Indigenous-led industry because a lot of these foods are traditional foods for a reason. They've had a long history of use with um, Aboriginal communities. So that's really kind of one part of my project. It's about building this evidence base for these foods and looking at the dietary safety of them. But the other part is then working with um, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand who are our national food regulatory body, to have a look at the current regulatory frameworks um, that are used to assess the safety of these traditional foods and trying to change or adapt them so that they're more culturally appropriate to consider the unique histories and stories um, and culture held by First Peoples and their businesses.
0: Right, That sounds really interesting. Can you tell me a bit more about so, the sort of current situation of how foods are assessed or regulated by these bodies and how you'd like to see it change? Yeah.
1: So the currently traditional foods are assessed under the novel food standard, which is in itself is a bit, um, a bit confusing because novel foods obviously means new foods and we know that these foods have been around for tens of thousands of years. Okay. But from the regulatory perspective, they're, they say novel foods and they mean new foods to today's markets. So it isn't true that these foods are, tr- are coming to today's markets. Now, the problem is that these frameworks are very um, Eurocentric. They're kind of, and by Eurocentric, I mean that they demand documented evidence to prove a, how the food's been used in the past. So they want written, documented evidence. And of course, that would work for many cultures that transcribed their history. Um, but for Aboriginal cultures, it was rarely recorded it's usually passed on through history through uh, different cultural expressions so it might be art dance language um, and you see this in dot paintings you see this in the um, traditional dances you see it throughout the dream stories and the song lines um, that all tell a story about how these foods are being used or which foods are eaten, how regular they're eating and the problem is that the current regulatory frameworks these novel food standards do not have the capacity to accept this kind of knowledge um, and that's why I mean by and by by them being very eurocentric. So, yeah, I'm really just trying to work with the regulators and traditional owner groups in this space and uh, industry stakeholders to try and develop new regulatory frameworks that are going to be able to accommodate this unique way of passing on history through time.
0: Yeah, right. so it's really about kind of, trying to expand the understanding of what constitutes evidence, you know, it would be useful evidence in assessing these, these food products It's not necessarily just about, you know, something that was written down in, in a journal or in a lab notebook. There's also a lot of knowledge embedded in, in other things.
1: Yeah, exactly, because it's very important when you're assessing the safety of a traditional food to look back in, the, in history in the past to see how the food was used. You want to know whether it was consumed often or maybe it was only consumed seasonally. Um, You want to know if there's any preparation techniques that had to be done before it was safe for consumption. Um, So whether it was cooked or whether you ate the whole plant product, for example. Um, And all of these things are tied up. Aboriginal people have this wealth of knowledge around how this was used, but again, it wasn't always recorded, so we do need to have a look at how we can kind of um, accept this knowledge in the regulatory process.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, So how did you get interested in this work originally?
1: Um, So my undergrad studies were in pharmacology and toxicology. So I've always had the interest in kind of this idea of how chemicals, I suppose, do things to the body. So whether it's drugs or medicine or the food we eat or just moving through the general environment. Um, so I finished my honours in pharmacology and I didn't really know where I wanted to go after that in uh, for a PhD. But then I got offered a project by my current supervisor, which is um, this project looking at traditional foods and working with Aboriginal people to develop these new frameworks. And um, I have Aboriginal heritage myself. I'm a Banger man from northern New South Wales. So I jumped at the opportunity to work with Aboriginal people, I suppose. Um, and just, it's a great project. It's I get to look at natural products chemistry. So I get to work with the these, these foods, these plants. I get to work with Aboriginal people in the community. Um, and then it also has a policy side. So I'm working directly with government who I meet regularly to kind of try and get this new policy in place. So it's going to have societal impact at the end as well. So I think overall the project, and that's what I like about toxicology, it kind of delves into these different areas that you can... Um, explore
0: yeah that's so cool that you're able to you know approach this general idea about native plant foods from so many different angles and in this kind of you know holistic approach that's you know that's really cool um so what does a sort of day in your life on this project look like
1: um so i guess really day to day i'm in the lab um and I'm kind of working with a number of different cell systems in the lab that are appropriate for testing the dietary safety of foods. So I'm using um, monocytes, which are immune cells. Um, I'm looking at uh, liver cells to see how it affects the liver. Um, and then I'm also looking at intestinal cells. So these are all human cell lines. And overall, I'm running a, do- a bunch of different assays that are going to look at um, different toxicity parameters. So cell viability, the generation of um oxygen radicals or reactive oxygen species Um, I'm looking at immunogenicity and allergenicity and this will all give us just a general indication of whether these foods are safe for dietary consumption but other than kind of running the safety assessment in the cell systems I'm also in an analytical chemistry lab uh, working with liquid chromatography tandem mass spectrometry um, which is a technique for kind of really getting into what's inside the plant itself and pulling it all apart and then having a look at um, all of the chemical compounds that are in there. So you can start understanding the maybe beneficial nutritional aspects that are in there. So maybe the vitamins and the minerals um, and then also the detrimental toxins that may be in there. So there may be plant toxins that are present within the plant material um, that we really want to identify and understand and have a look at what level they're in these plants. I mean, aside from that's kind of my day-to-day, and if I'm really lucky, I get to go out uh, into the community and on country and actually kind of spend time with traditional owners. And, I mean, I was able to do this during in between the COVID lockdown, um, which was really good, Go out there for um, it was three days out on country and just working with the guys out there who are growing these foods. Um, I'm based in Melbourne, so obviously COVID's really slowed this down, but now that we're coming out of COVID, I'm hoping to do a lot more of that.
0: Yeah, fantastic. What do you think are the biggest advantages or the also the biggest challenges of doing the type of work that you're doing in Australia at the moment?
1: I guess the biggest advantage is the obvious one of being able to have access and working with um, one of the oldest living cultures on the planet and who have a wealth of knowledge about the natural resources, including these foods, and just really being able to work directly with them people and understand their knowledge and the history that they have to bring but in the same vein I guess that's one of the challenges it's there's really no protection offered to uh, aboriginal people and the knowledge that they hold so in the past a lot of commercial endeavors have kind of taken advantage of traditional knowledge or taken advantage of traditional land or their resources um, and really kind of made a commercial success item in whatever form it may be, but really has never paid anything back to traditional owners. And Aboriginal people really don't receive much back from these kind of endeavours. So that's definitely one of the challenges. And you kind of see that in the native food industry now. As I mentioned earlier, only 2% of revenue going back to traditional owners, where most of these foods are grown on Aboriginal land, are wild harvested by Aboriginal people, but it's all being value-added up the chain and little is getting back to the community. So... That's definitely one of the challenges that we're hoping to change.
0: Yeah, I think it's very, very promising that your work is looking to flip these narratives and, you know, really change that, you know, make the distribution of benefits fairer and more, you know, and also the whole assessment process more culturally appropriate. Um, That's very cool. So what do you hope for the field to look like in, say, five years' time? I
1: suppose in five years, I'd really like to see more Aboriginal scientists coming through. So I hope there's, yeah, more Aboriginal students at university because there's a lot of work to do in this space and needs to be done by our people. Um, So people like Corey Todd who are out there doing deadly science are doing great work to really um, promote science in Aboriginal communities. And I just really hope, yeah, to see more students because, I mean, it's kind of understandable that you can see in the past... Western institutions such as the universities have been really concerned about Western knowledge and building Western knowledge and they haven't really been that much interest in really kind of you know acknowledging Aboriginal uh, ways of doing things. But I think that's changing a lot. Actually, universities are quite interested in now working in a more collaborative approach with Aboriginal people. So I hope there's more projects that come up like this and there's Aboriginal people that can come and run the projects.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be really great. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Luke, to talk about your work.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me.